you're looking for the same thing. It's a new thing. Check out this. I bring all the roll below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on. Turn up the radio. Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Young Professionals here on TopDrawerSoccer.com, covering American soccer and beyond from a developmental perspective. This is Travis Clark hosting once again. Joining me is my sidekick in Seattle, as I like to call him, Will Parchman. Will, what's going on? Am I, uh, I'm Robin to your Batman? I have dubbed myself Batman and you are Robin. You're my sidekick. But it's more the alliteration than it is anything else. You know, Seattle sidekick. I'll take Robin as long as it's not um, the Batman Forever Robin. I, I will graciously give that to you. That is bestowed upon you for this podcast episode. As long as I'm not the Chris O'Donnell Robin, I can handle it. Okay. I, that is for sure. I don't even remember what movies those Batman movies are because they're so forgettable. There's no reason to remember. Exactly. But before we get totally sidetracked, as usual, uh, today's show we will be talking under 20 men's national team roster release. We have that... The World Cup roster, which dropped last week, and also an update from this week, which is why we decided to hold off on the show. Going to dive a little bit into Major League Soccer with the impending arrivals of some storied Englishmen, and going to gloss over their um, impending arrivals here on our fair shores, and taking a look back at a career of one of the American soccer's best players, Brad Friedel, who retired this week. Will, let's jump right into the under-20 men's national team roster. Obviously... It came out last week with the addendum that if Gideon Zalalem's release went through from FIFA, Zalalem was going to make it onto this roster. We found out this week that that happened. Now, my question for you is, will the U.S. now win the World Cup because of Gideon Zalalem? I thought that was obvious. Do we even, yeah, need, yeah. Do we even need to ask the question at this point? I know that people have asked us to dial this knock down, but it's really hard for me. I apologize. It but will never happen. Let's be honest. I will try a little bit. But continue on with your answer. Will the U.S. win the world? No, just kidding. But no, seriously, though, in all seriousness, what does this edition of Zalala mean? Does it mean too much? Are we overhyping him as usual? I know that's our jobs, but what are your thoughts on those ideas? Yeah, I mean, the hype, hype train is real. I think there's been, I mean, how many, I know you've seen him live, which makes you one of like a dozen people in America, but... But you know, he, it was also four years ago, and he yeah, was a scrawny right. 14-year-old teenager. Right. So, I mean, what we have are, like, limited, devo- like, vines and random highlight clips where, you know, all you see is the final pass or a goal or whatever. And, you know, that's fine, but he has played zero minutes with this setup ever. And, you know, for him to join the camp uh, this close to the, the World Cup, you know, we're, what, two and a half, three weeks away, uh, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder. I mean, it's very much a, a Julian Green to the full national team kind of situation where, um, you know, that was more... That was more of a stretch, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, that was more of a stretch, but it, it's a similar kind of situation where neither of them were very familiar with the setup, especially if you're asking uh, Zalalem to be some kind of centerpiece in the middle of the field. You know, you look at guys like Emerson Hindman, um, Joel Senora, who, who, you know, Russell Canoes, who, who have been in the setup, are, you know, familiar with each other, and they sort of slogged through CONCACAF, and now all of a sudden you're asking uh, this, this sort of unknown, in a lot of ways, to come in and, and try to make it work. And, I, you know, as good as it is, there's something to be said for the team ethic, and, you know, 
maybe he fits in great. Um, you know, I'm not even sure Tab Ramos knows whether he's a number 10 or a number 8, in, especially in this setup. So, um, I mean, we'll see. I mean, as you know, he can kind of make that final pass. But, you know, is he a guy that is really that comfortable in that pure creator, that pure high attacking midfielder? I, I will see, but I, I'm, I'm skeptical that he's going to start the first game, I guess. Right. Well, then you consider that the U.S., when we last saw them playing, they started out the qualifying from a 4-3-3 and switched into the 4-4-2 diamond. So that makes me wonder, where would you put Zalalem in that? Because I don't, as far as I know of him as a player, he doesn't strike me as just that true out-and-out number 10. But even in a 4-4-2 diamond like that, maybe you don't need your number 10, you know, the guy at the top of the diamond to necessarily play the same number 10. You know, maybe it's a little bit flat, but skewed a little bit. I don't know. I'm totally theorizing. The one thing I guess you could say, I believe it was reported somewhere that he secured an early release from Arsenal and is going to be training with the team in the build-up to the World Cup. So, you know, that's two weeks of the team. Uh, They're all out in California right now, and then they're heading to Australia, I believe, tomorrow for, you know, a week and a half of training. So that kind of opportunity makes you think, well, if Ramos can kind of work him into the fold quickly and if he can come up to speed and if he's as good as people seem to think and as good as a player as you'd kind of picture in your head, for playing at Arsenal, even for just the under-21s, he should be able to force himself into at least consideration for the starting lineup, if not for full minutes. It's just kind of, you know, and then there's the question of, you know, if you do the 4-4-2, could he play this left or right side of a diamond? If it's pinned, you know, there's all kinds of speculation and permutations. Going to be really interesting to see what Tab Ramos does with it. Well, in terms and, of that, you know, like, let's, let, you know, let's kind of break down the, the diamond a little bit because we know for a fact that Ramos is going to use a 4-4-2 now that he's kind of um, tossed aside the 4-3-3 because I don't think he has confidence enough in his sitting um, defensive midfielder to kind of leave him alone. Um, I think he, he thought that was fine for CONCACAF and they got kind of shredded by Panama, and then he went to the 4-4-2, and they didn't give him up another goal. So, you know, that, that came with the trade-off of them not playing very good soccer. Um, so there, there was that. Uh, but also, you know, let's say he does go with the diamond, which I think is, is a probability at this point. But did he basically, yeah, he basically came out and said that at his, he in his press basically, conference. He didn't say it would be a diamond specifically, but yeah. he, he kind of affirmed that, that the diamond is his preferred mode of operation when he goes to the 4-4-2. So... Let's say he does use the diamond. You know, I've always come from the school of thought that you 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 build around your best parts, and then you sort of fit in what you can where you can. And for him, his best midfielder, arguably his best player, is Emerson Hyman. And you know, I I'm not sure how fit Hyman is. I assume he's fine because he you know broke his collarbone, but that was in January. Um, and assuming that Hyman's good to go. Where does he fit in in the diamond? Because he's he's a midfield guy, a shuttler, number eight through and through. Um, you can't leave him alone at the back. You can't put him up high. Um, and so that kind of leaves him in this middle ground in this formation where um, I'm not sure, you know, I wouldn't put him wide either. So, you know, if you do put him in that 10 roll, he ends up dropping back a little bit, um, which is okay. But, you know, then he ends up being like Michael Bradley was in the world cup where he just runs and runs and runs and you know, he's taken out of his comfort zone. 
And then you add Zalal under that, and I, from you know the reports that I've gotten anyway, he's not an out and out number six either. So you know who knows, but in in my opinion, the diamond doesn't really fit this particular skill set. And I think if he goes, if Ramos goes with it, um, you know, they, I, I don't think it'll lead to a whole lot of attacking panache if they were going to have it anyway. I could see it being a, you know, the, like I was kind of hinting at a four four two. That's really narrow when you're playing central midfielders. You know, maybe one yeah. central midfielder, or maybe even unbalanced where. Maybe you put Paul Ariel out in more of a wide role, and then you put Salalo on the other side, but he pinches in, and you throw a lot of demand on your outside back to get forward to provide width. But needless to say, Zalalem aside, there are, uh, of course, 20 other players on the roster. We should get to them as well. Any surprises, disappointments to not see on there? Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed not to see Christian Roldan. I mean, I, I understood it in a way, um, just because he's only been in two camps, and but, you know... you. You call up Gideon Zalalem, who's been in zero camps, and that kind of throws that to the side to where if familiarity was really the important thing, then, you know, that, that's kind of dead at this point. So, I, yeah, I mean, he, he made some, some comments about how, you know, Roldan's creativity might not have been uh, what he wanted it to be, but, you know, he didn't take Junior Flores either. And, you know, while he's had, um, had some issues in the past, he's probably the most creatively inclined midfielder they have. He just hasn't it as much lately. Um, so I would say Roldan, Junior Flores, and then Romain Gall are sort of the three um, that most will be surprised not to see, especially Gall because he had been so prolific. But mostly uh, from the penalty spot, which should yes, be noted. Yes, but um, you, know, you, you watched him play, and he was um, really aided the attack and um, was good pinching in from the left, <clears throat> which isn't a position that is – you know, in ready supply on this team. So I figured at the very least having him to come off the bench late would have been good. But um, I guess, you know, Ramos didn't see enough in his form lately, um, which is fine. But I, I would say those three guys are relatively surprised, especially with some of the midfielders they brought. You know, Marky Delgado, I, I, I'm at a loss for words a little bit on that one. But Yeah, I mean, that. who knows what that have to do with i mean who knows what he hasn't even played for toronto fc has he he's uh i think he's with tfc2 right now and he's sort of getting some some token minutes but you know he hasn't definitely hasn't played with the senior team yeah and you can look at someone like gall his exclusion could be explained by a lack of time with the uh, crew i mean he hasn't i don't think he's played a minute of mls action and had no reserve league to kind of fall back on so that probably hurt him you know the roster itself is an interesting makeup let's just highlight some of the more intriguing names you know a guy like DeSevio Payne who is over in Holland but was born in South Carolina is probably the most random simply because you know Zalalem obviously comes with a lot of hype and a lot of buzz but Payne is a guy I think that his first camp was earlier this year and obviously he did something and showed well enough to end up in this final group I think Ramos, if I'm not mistaken, said something about this is about players who are in the best form. So that's kind of his mindset, which, you know, you look at a guy like Delgado. Is Delgado in really good form? I guess he must have shown well um, at a camp somewhere. Uh, I like the selection of Jordan Allen from Real Salt Lake, guy who uh, was showed really promising signs in 2014 during his rookie season after signing a home run deal. 
uh, with RSL, but then ended up missing most of the season after under, undergoing surgery, I believe, for a microfracture injury. So there's a lot of guys out there who I guess American soccer fans probably haven't seen a ton of, uh, you know, guys that we've seen in the academy ranks or in college. Uh, you know, there are only two college players, and they're both goalkeepers, and they probably won't see any minutes. You know, Jeff Caldwell from UVA and Thomas Olsen from San Diego. What are your thoughts? You know, we've we banded out the whole college situation before in this podcast, but, you know, do you think that, you know, in two years' time we'll have a U-20 team with zero college players? Yeah, I mean, we're we're close enough at this point. I mean, as you mentioned, the I, I think the, the percentage – has gone down in, in the last 10 years. I mean, we talked about the last two cycles, I think 2013, it was, it was like there were maybe three or four more college kids. Um, but it's been on a steady decline. And, you know, I've kind of been looking at this a little bit for for a story. And, you know, you go back to 2005, and I want to say that roster was 60, 65% college kids. And now it's like 7% or something like that. Um, so, it's clear that the professionalization has sort of permeated, and I, I think absolutely. I mean, in their cycle, maybe even before that, we're looking at camps next year. I think we could very well be looking at a completely collegeless camp, and I'm not sure how many times that's happened or if it's happened before. Um, but it, it, the number is certainly under five, um, and I think if you look at it from you know, this next cycle going forward, that's going to kind of be the way it is, period. I mean, if you're a college kid in the 2017 U-20 World Cup cycle, you have very little chance of getting on this roster, I think, percentage-wise. So whether that's good or not, I mean, we could debate it. Obviously, the the results will tell and the style of play these teams play will tell us. But um, certainly that, that follows a global trend. Um, and so if you're trying to catch up with the Argentinas and uh, the England... Basically and, everyone better than us, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the way it's done. So, I mean, we've done the college thing, and we've kind of proven that um, it doesn't work in terms of um, producing not only world-class players, but you know, I, teams that, that do well at this tournament. I mean, I know we, we talked, too, about how results aren't as important and you know they're not certainly at this level but at the same time results are sort of a a symptom of a well-run team and quality players and um, good coaching and while it's not important that you win the tournament I think it's I I think it is important that you show well and the U.S. by and large has not shown well at this tournament so if you know going the non-college route is what it takes then you know I think everybody should be sort of for that well especially when you're considering players you want at the international level and competing against the best of the best the rest of the world and you know i definitely agree with you it's got to be about the performance of this team and i think they should be judged um you know results are a very good way to perceive and look at it but i think that an even bigger thing about this team will be how it performs how they are in the run of play can they possess the ball can they create you know, they don't have to play like Barcelona. You don't, you don't have to expect that, but at least a semblance of a style and a, you know, a certain way that they're trying to, to execute on the field would be nice. One thing that kind of stands out to me from the final roster, 10 of these players were on the CONCACAF qualifying roster. Is that something that 
you know, there's not a lot of continuity there. Is that going to be a problem? You know, we talked a little bit about incorporating Zalalem, but he's far from the only one who is kind of a new face in this place. I think if this team was so good in CONCACAF that you felt like it couldn't be broken up, then I would be a little bit more worried. But um, especially the way they played going forward, I mean, I thought the only part of the field that should have been kept intact, even remotely, was the defense. And they've done that. I mean, obviously with DeSevio Payne, but he's not going to start. Um, if he even plays, I'd be a little surprised. Um, but, you know, you've got the back four, Carter Vickers, Miazga, Moore, and Rakeo, who will 100% start. You've got uh, Zach Steffen, who, you know, might be the most talented pro prospect on this entire roster. Um so that was really the foundation of the team, I thought, in CONCACAF. And I th- thought it was important that they keep that together, and they did. Um, but as far as the, the midfield and the attack, I thought, you know, if, if he wanted to scramble it a little bit, I'd be fine with that, just because they weren't that um, robust in CONCACAF. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And so, you know, if, if he wanted to sort of shuffle the deck and, and try something new, I, I would have been fine with it, and I am fine with it. Um, it's just a matter of fitting the pieces now. And, you know, if, if you build from the back, I think you always have a good sh- shot to win, you know, big tournaments. And that, that's obviously what they're doing. I'm just curious to know. I mean, he's got a lot of work to do, obviously, now because he's got, you know, some new pieces to fit in. He's got a new formation to run. So I, I'll be interested to see how sort of he, he builds on that. Yeah, I think we were also talking about when the qualifying was happening, how the players that have been with Tab the longest looked the poorest, which is not a very good endorsement of someone's coaching ability. But, you know, perhaps something like that can really help this team. I mean, you, you never really know what is going to happen and how much of an impact a national team coach it has on, given the, the little bit of time they actually have with the players. But there's going to be a little bit of time in the buildup, and, you know, hopefully we see some positive results come game time. Before we move on from the under-20s, now, who, what is, who is one player you're excited to see in person or, you know, on TV? Uh, and one player you think, uh, Rubio, Rubin, and Emerson Heinemann aside, one player you think could be on the national team soon? I think if we're looking at national team players, I, I, I'm looking at Tommy Thompson, not necessarily because um, his skill set is the most complete and rounded, but I think because he's the most unique player on this team. Uh, just in the, in the way he he plays, I, I don't think there's really another player like him. Um, just with his ball skills and his he tries stuff. You know, he's kind of got that little bit of Clint Dempsey in him, where he's he's not afraid to look stupid every now and then. Um, and it, it you know it'll happen, but you know Cristiano Ronaldo looks stupid every now and then too, and he tries all kinds. He of He looks stuff. really good though while <laughs> yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah, right. So I think. Uh, Tommy Thompson definitely has a place, and he's really versatile. I mean, he can play as a second striker, maybe not behind Wando, um, but he can play, you know, out wide in you know a four four two or even a four three three and pinch in. And so, you know, I, I like, I sort of like his skill set. Um, I've completely forgotten your first question. The uh, player you're excited to actually see play? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it has to be Zalalem, right? Yeah. That's that's the hype train. It was a trick um, question. Yeah, I'm interested I'm, to see if Jolson Oro gets some time because yeah. he's a guy that's coming from a completely different background than basically anyone on the team. He was with the under-17s during their failed qualifying effort a couple years ago. Cameron Carter-Vickers may be someone to throw out for the national team just mm-hmm. to go really, really 
out there in wild card is but even though he's i believe just turned 17 last he's, like december he's, he's 12 just like, actually he's 12 years old oh he's 12 years old okay yeah. he's a, a beast behemoth of a man so uh we'll obviously have you guys covered on top with some great under 20 men's national team coverage in the run-up to the world cup next week jr eskelson will have a series of stories from Media Day, he was there in California on Thursday. Thursday being yesterday, we're recording on a Friday. And obviously some preview action in the run-up. We'll probably do another podcast where we talk a little bit more about uh, each specific matchup. Um, you know, because we're going to really dive into de- into detail on Myanmar uh, and that May 30th yeah. matchup, which kicks off at a very convenient 12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. All games will be on Fox Sports 1 for those inclined to watch it. Uh, but, but before we get there, we're going to switch gears here a little bit, uh, jump into the Major League Soccer season. Obviously, given that it's May, results hardly matter considering 12 out of the 20 teams make the playoffs in MLS. But I think the timing of our podcast is notable. This weekend, Stephen Gerrard plays his final home game for Liverpool at Anfield ahead of his much-anticipated move to the LA Galaxy. And then obviously coming, I guess, in a package de- deal with him is New York City FC, soon-to-be New York City FC midfielder Frank Lampard. Will, given the, the harsh history and re- in recent times of mid-season arrivals to MLS, what are these guys going to bring? I, I'm, I'm hard, I have a hard time seeing it being a massive impact aside from maybe a few more thousand folks coming out to whichever match – these guys are playing in well we know historically that regardless of how good you are if you come into mls in the summer you're going to struggle um i can't think of a single player sort of in that mold where these sort of two old guys are coming into the league and i mean i'm sure internally you know steven gerrard sort of caused that that whole kerfuffle uh when he said you know he's coming to L.A. because in part because he wants less pressure or whatever, um, which is a totally like reasonable thing to say. I mean, even... I think the point is ignored that he would have had less pressure at every single... any club that he went to. Yes. Anywhere yes. in the world, basically. Unless Pretty he went much. to, like, Burnley or something that's I about mean, to get relegated. Have, I, I don't know if you've seen this Twitter handle. It's called Rock Meltdown, R-A-W-K. And it's basically this guy who trolls the Liverpool forums <laughs> and then posts the most ridiculous things that he can find, which isn't hard to find, honestly, because Liverpool fans are clinically insane for the most part. Um, <laughs> That's and, not going to be good for this podcast. <laughs> for the most part, and mostly just the ones living in Liverpool who you know, are clinically obsessed with the team. Um, but just some of the things that come out of these message reports are just utter nonsense. It is the internet, though, after all. Yes, which gives rise to some hilarious things. But um, I mean, what's a reasonable expectation, though, for these guys? Let's go. Let's let's go. Numbers predictions. How many goals? How many assists? How many games do they get in? Obviously, we're I'm going out on a limb here, putting you on the spot, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see their impact on the field specifically. But look at, I mean, Thierry Henry is twice the player that either of these guys are when he came, especially when he came to the league, even like four years ago or whenever it was. And he struggled. I mean, he 
did not look particularly good in his first half season in MLS or whatever it was. So I think, you know, you, you get a guy like Gerard who I don't even know what his position is anymore. I mean, he's too lazy to play a number 10. I think slow and, is the, the word you're looking for. No, I'm going to go with lazy. Okay. And, and he's, he's not defensively good enough to play like a holding midfielder. So he's kind of that like Marcelo Sarvas type, but maybe not even as, you know, inclined to make as many passes. So, I mean, who he knows? He just wants to kick the ball really far diagonally to switch the field. I think we'll yes. see a lot of that from him. Yes. Um, I think five assists maybe, one goal would be, yeah. if, you know, if you're looking at it practically, would probably be realistic for somebody like Gerard. Now, Lampard, I feel like, has a little bit more of a, a ceiling, um, a higher ceiling, I should say. Um, just because, you know, as just bad... Just because you're a Chelsea fan, admit it. <laughs> well, as bad as NYCFC has been, you know, in terms of the win-loss record, they've actually tried to play some soccer. I mean, if you look at their, their numbers, I think maybe only Orlando City has passed it around, has a higher short passing percentage than NYCFC. Part of that's because they play, you know, in a shoebox, but part of it is just because Jason Christ is legitimately trying to build something that people want to watch. And whether or not, you know, Lampard can stay healthy is one thing. And but, you know, I I think he's pretty fresh because City hasn't exactly used him. Um, but I, you know, I think Lampard could could reasonably be could reasonably get a couple goals and, um, you know, putting him with Via. I think is 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 pretty outstanding, and Robbie Keane is uh, chronically injured now, so who knows? If... Yeah, that's really pe- peculiar. I'm gonna go with uh, four goals, five assists for Lampard, simply because he hasn't been playing very much for City, so he'll be be the more fresher of the two. Gerrard's, you know, basically limping around the field in a Liverpool jersey these days. He'll probably just get a goal. Maybe they'll give him like a a token PK, a goal, and maybe like six assists if Robbie Keane is healthy. If Keane isn't, maybe like two. Can Only you, because Giassi Zardes will miss about five or six sitters. Huh. Can you imagine the uh, the awesome fight on field between Gerard and Keane over who's going to take a penalty? Oh, that's going to be something I want, to watch. I think Robbie Keane might literally rip out Steven Gerrard's trachea. I, I think it could also go like a different direction where Keane just like kind of graciously makes a meal moment of, makes still makes it about himself by being like, "Look, I gave him the penalty opportunity. Look at me, you know, look at me." I'm Robbie I, Keane, and then celebrate the goal anyway. I'm I'm just really excited to see Robbie Keane hard stares at Gerard memes. I think that's that. Those are the memes that MLS deserves. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get plenty of them. Uh, final final point we wanted to cover on today's show: talking American soccer. Brad Friedel announced his retirement at the age of 43 years old, which you can, which is amazing. Uh, to think that he's playing that long, but I hope I can reti- live till I'm 43 years old. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost there. 13 years to go. <laughs> You're almost there. <laughs> I'm just getting really mopey about my age these days. But uh, needless to say, very impressive career. How about how about this for an extreme banter? Greatest American soccer player of all time, Brad Friedel. Ah, mm, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think at a certain point. You know, maybe in two or three years, we could make an argument he's not even the greatest American goalkeeper. Yeah, the- I mean, you could. I still think he's, 
you know, the 2002 World Cup, people sleep on that the fact that Friedel was so good during that. Um, he was. Mostly because he was on at 3 a.m. But was he as good as Tim Howard was in 2014? Can you, can but, you make... But you Belgium, make that? that Belgium game, he is so overrated in. Is that blasphemous? I think it's a little blasphemous. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think it was good. It was good, but, you know, it was just some solid goalkeeping. It was nothing more. Made it into a little bit more because Belgium missed some easy chances. I don't know. I think that... Friedel, you know, the, the goalkeeping uh, pantheon for American soccer is so, you know, we could debate this for hours on hours. But one of the reasons we really wanted to bring him up, uh, you, you posted a blog yesterday on the 91st minute about Friedel's uh, foray into business here. Maybe one of the reasons why he played for so long is because he ended up bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like it's hard to to put it in those terms because you don't, I mean... You don't know the full story. Yeah, I mean, like I you point out I in the blog, he's never that, gone on record. I mean, I wouldn't want to say that Friedel, you know, prolonged his career just because he wanted money. Um, I mean, I'm sure he was, he was still enjoying the game, but you know, he joined Spurs in 2011, which was the same year that a sheriff's sale failed uh, for that building that um, they spent, you know, almost 11 million dollars on, and you know, he had declared bankruptcy, you know. I think three months before his Aston Villa contract ran up, so it had to be a pretty stressful time for him. Just because, you know, in in January you you know you you file for bankruptcy for you know bank protection in England, um, and then you know you're looking three four months down the road and you have no idea, you know where uh, you're going to be. You're he was I think thirty thirty seven thirty eight at the time, um, and or maybe maybe no he was almost forty. Um, and so he had to be, you know, worried a little bit. It's like, who's going to pick up a near 40 year old goalkeeper, uh, in, you know, the most competitive league in the world and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, when he signed on at Spurs for very much a backup role, um, I think they had Gomez at the time. Um, it was Aurelio Gomez, Aurelio Gomez. Um, so I, you know, it was kind of looked that way. I mean, but at the same time, he was also dealing with this from afar, and you know his his academy had just utterly tanked, mostly because of the economy, um, but partially because you know he he really tried to do something that hadn't been done at the time. I mean, when he started his camps in twenty uh, two thousand three, and then uh, announced that he had bought you know land for this campus in two thousand five, the development academy didn't exist yet, and you know was still a couple of years away. And, you know, you had places like Shattuck St. Mary's, but, you know, that's a school and it's a pay-for situation um, mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, they do give scholarships, but, you know, they, it's mostly a tuition type thing. So, I mean, it, it really hadn't been done before the way Brad Friedel was wanting to do it, where this is, we're going to pay your way. We've got, you know, 24 boarding member, you know, boarding kids who are living here year-round free of, free of cost. Yeah, I think, sorry to interrupt, but that's what I think was one of the things that stood out when I was reading about it is the fact that that's what they were trying to do. And the timing of it was just so bad, you know, like I, I'm sure you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but I think it would it open like 2007 or 2008, right before the recession. Yeah. Almost a year to the day before, um, the Lehman brothers, uh, collapse. Not good timing. No. And you know, the, the idea of it was pure, but I, I just I don't think it was thought out enough. I mean, if you're going to do a free academy, um, 
you know, let alone in one in a down economy, you really have to have the monetary backing to do it. I mean, you have to be prepared to lose money. And yeah, how would you even make money off of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it wasn't particularly well thought out. And so if you wanted to do it that way, that's fine. And I think that's, you know, even laudable. I mean, it, it's sort of the way that a lot of academies are run across the world. But at the same time, they still mitigate costs somehow. And, you know, the, the Ajaxes and the Barcelonas are connected to first teams. And that's sort of the, the money cycle where the money comes in through revenues, through the first team that's generated and pushed back down to the, you know, to make the, the academies free of cost. And so it's sort of the cyclical thing to where, okay, now Brad Friedel is a completely un, has having a completely unattached academy with, you know, no official affiliation. I mean, he started out with the crew, but it wasn't, you know, there's certainly no official affiliation. And even if there were, I don't, the crew are, you know, struggling to make their own academies free of play, let alone, you know, subsidize another one. So, so here we have completely unattached academy with a, a guy who's still playing first team soccer at the very least on a roster in a different country and trying to sort of run this multi-million dollar business and it just collapsed and it's it's unfortunate that it happened because it was a really great idea it was just sort of doomed by some bad implementation and it had some really great players too will trap was there colin martin Romain Gall all played there for uh, short periods of time. Uh, someone pinged us on Twitter about that. And I remember Martin specifically, um, you know, being a D.C. guy, went out there for a little bit. But, you know, you look at the timing. We don't want to talk dwell too much on this. But the timing of it, you know, maybe he was planning on retiring at the end of that contract and becoming the face of the franchise, either a face of the sort of organization. Either way, um, 668 appearances in total, according to Wikipedia, I believe, which is a whole lot of appearances. Uh, 82 caps with the full men's national team, obviously was part of that 2002 World Cup run, um, all the way to the quarterfinals and the loss against Germany. Uh, great career, Brad Friedel. And he'll, you'll be able to hear his totally, totally whack accent coming to you on Fox Sports 1. And, and we, need to, already... we need to point out before we leave today that Brad Friedel has read publicly one of Travis Clark's tweets. I, I know yeah. we've talked about this before, and we've shared it ad nauseum on Twitter, but I will continue to share this information because it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yes, I made fun of his accent, and I didn't even make fun of it. No, I just it, was said, very, it was very benign. The Brad Friedel accent is so weird or something, and it was very, very amusing. Anyway, Brad, if you're listening, and I know you're not, I'm sorry <laughs> about that tweet. If it was mean and hurt your feelings, caused you to retire. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. Obviously, lots of U20 coverage. Uh, keep checking back, topdoorsoccer.com for lots of stuff um, on youth development. You know, got a busy summer ahead with the Development Academy playoffs, the ECNL. Uh, I get to go to New Jersey next weekend, Woo. hooray, uh, to oh, cover God. some ECNL national event games. And uh, lots more from Will, myself on Twitter. You can follow him at Will Parchman. You can find me at Travis M. Clark. Of course, you can follow... Uh, top drawer soccer at top drawer soccer goes without saying if you if there's anything on the show you'd like to hear us cover or talk about or maybe even write stories about you got a story idea for us shoot us an email editor at top uh that's something i check on almost a daily basis uh thanks for listening everyone for will parchman this has been travis clark thanks and enjoy your soccer that's what i want you all to do for me 
what you're looking for, the same thing. It's a new thing, check out this, I bring. Uh-oh, the roll below the level, cause I'm living low next to the base. Come on! Turn up the radio, they're claiming I'm a criminal. But now I wonder how, some people never know. The enemy could be the friend guardian, I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist, preach the teacher. Oh. Cause don't they never have this? Number one, never wanna run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me, fear me. I'm the epitome, a public enemy. Used abuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news. 